بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد فان احسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وان شر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار so in the previous lesson we started looking at the line of poetry which is ascribed to Sheikh Islam Ibn Ibrahimullah in which he said wa jami'u ayati sifati umirruha haqqan kama naqala at-tirazu al-awwal that all of the verses of the attributes i pass them on i pass them on in truth just as they were passed on or as they were transmitted by the very first by the very first group or the very first generation so in the last lesson we looked at some of the issues connected to this line of poetry uh, we looked at the meaning of aya and as-sifat the meaning of the word sifat and sifa what is the definition of sifa attribute uh, we also looked at some of the evidences in the quran that established the obligation of following the way of the sahaba radiyallahu anhum and we looked at some of the speech of sheikh salih as-suhaimi hafizahullah ta'ala and he mentioned a number of verses which are used as a proof to show the obligation of following the sahaba i just wanted to make a small clarification because the sheikh mentioned a particular verse which uh, was mentioned in the in the last lesson and this is a statement of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in surah al-an'am surah 6 verse number 90 in which allah says ulaika alladhina hadallahu fa bihudahum muqtadih here allah said those are the ones whom allah has guided so by their guidance then guide yourself and this ayah in fact is in reference to the prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam because in the verses prior to this allah mentioned all of the previous mess- the prophets he mentioned many names of prophets and after mentioning them and their stories he then addressing the messenger muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam he said those are the ones whom allah has guided so with their guidance then guide yourself so this is something that uh, how this ayah is used as a proof to show the obligation of the companions then i don't quite uh, understand but the sheikh mentioned it here along with some of the other verses that we mentioned the verse about following the way of the believers uh, not disputing with the messenger and following the way of the believers and likewise the verse regarding the muhajirin and the ansar so the sheikh mentioned that verse in between those verses that's the actual meaning and the context of that verse so i just thought I'd clarify that and to add there is another ayah in the quran that ibn al-qayyim rahimahullah mentions which is a proof another proof on top of what we mentioned uh, and this is in surah luqman surah luqman and verse number 15 and in this ayah there is the statement of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wattabi' sabila man anaba ilayya wattabi' sabila man anaba ilayya which is follow the way or the path of the one who has turned back to me and so when you look at the tafsir of this ayah tafsir al-baghawi and some of the other tafsir they explain that this ayah actually was revealed regarding Abu Bakr Abu Bakr radiyallahu anhu meaning that the one about whom Allah is saying follow the way or the path of the one who turned back to me man anaba ilayya this is referring to Abu Bakr and in addition to that Abu Bakr radiyallahu anhu he also invited other companions to Islam and so they are included in that meaning as well and so therefore the command here then is follow the way and follow the path meaning of those companions who made inaba to me right and this is an evidence 
also used by Ibn al-Qayyim, rahimahullah, as an additional evidence on top of the other, other ones that we, that we mentioned in the previous lesson, um, to, w- w- which explains the obligation of following the way of the Sahaba, radiyallahu anhum. So with that clarified, uh, we mentioned in the previous lesson, we started looking at some issues connected to the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so from the things that we mentioned, we mentioned two or three things. The first thing was, what is the definition of a sifa? What is the meaning of attribute? And uh, we explained that this is a meaning that is established with Allah from those things which he described himself with or his messenger described himself with and which indicates absolute complete perfection and which removes from Allah every fault and deficiency, every blame and deficiency without him having any partners in that. And in one of the issues we looked at is the various types of attributes. We said there are three types of attributes, those which have complete perfection in every single respect. And so Allah is described with them. Like for example, mercy and hikmah, wisdom and ilm. These are perfect attributes from every angle. There's no deficiency in these attributes. Then we said there are those which are complete deficiency. Like for example, dhulm. Dhulm is oppression. This is a quality which is completely uh, is deficiency. Dhulm. And for example, incapacity. You know, things like uh, blindness or deafness. All of these are negative qualities from every respect. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is completely free and absolved of these types of uh, attributes. And the third one we said are those attributes which from, from uh, in, in an absolute sense they are deficient, but in a restricted sense they are perfection. And so an example of that would be to uh, plot and to plan, to have makar, to make makar, meaning to, to plot and to devise and to, you know, uh, this kind of thing. However, when someone plots against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah in turn plots back, in this context, this plotting, this makar, here now this is seen to be an attribute of perfection. And likewise, when someone tries to mock Allah and his messenger, and Allah mocks them, this again is an attribute which in response to someone else in this context, it is treated to be uh, perfection. And we also mentioned a second point, which is that the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are eternal. Allah is eternal with his attributes. Now notice that we say, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be Sifatihi. We say Allah with His attributes. Allah with His attributes. What's the significance of this? This is different to the Mu'tazila. Because the Mu'tazila, they say Allah wa Sifatihi. Allah and His attributes. Right? There's a, a difference here. We say Allah bi Sifatihi. Allah with His attributes. And the Mu'tazila say, Allah wasifatihi, Allah and his attributes. Why is this? This is because the Mu'tazila, they consider that if you ascribe an attribute <coughs> to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that therefore you have somehow affirmed another eternal thing besides Allah, in, additional, in, in addition to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In other words, they say that if you say Allah and Allah's knowledge, to them there are two things. There's Allah and there's knowledge. So they say to us that you've made two things eternal. And if you say Allah and His mercy and His wisdom, now you've made another two things eternal with Allah because they treat these attributes as things besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they consider this to be shirk. This to them is shirk. And that's what they mean when you see the very first principle of the Mu'tazila. They have five principles and they say the first principle is Tawheed. What they mean by Tawheed is not the Tawheed of the messengers. They mean by Tawheed to deny the attributes and to believe only 
in an essence that Allah is just a being without any attributes whatsoever, no attributes at all. And this, as the scholars explain, like Ibn Taymiyyah and Ibn Al-Qayyim, and likewise the scholars from the Salaf, that this to them really is, is pure atheism. It's, it's a denial of Allah's existence because, as Ibn Taymiyyah explains, that there is no thing in existence. No thing exists except that it must have at least one attribute. Right? Every existing thing must have at least one attribute. I mean, the simple one is that it exists. Existence is an attribute for every single thing. Right? Wujud. Wujud is existence. But leaving that to one side, every existing thing must have an attribute. And if you claim that something can exist without having any attributes, this is impossible. It's impossible. So therefore, the saying of the Jahmiyyah and the Mu'tazila who deny attributes for Allah, really what they are saying in essence is Allah does not exist. And that's why the Salaf made takfir of them, they declared them to be disbelievers, because the reality of their saying was that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not exist. He can't be defined. He can't be defined through attributes. So, we say Allah bisifatihi. Allah is one essence, and Allah can have many attributes. This does not mean that there are many essences. This is, this is false reasoning. It's corrupt reasoning. And that's why these people, they claim to have aql, reason, but they don't have any reason. Because if you can imagine a man who we call Abdullah, for example, and this man, Abdullah, we can say that he's generous, and we can say that he is merciful, and we say that he is ghani, he's rich, and we say that he is uh, healthy or whatever else, we can affirm multiple attributes for one entity, for one thing. This does not mean there are multiple things and multiple entities. This is corrupt, false reasoning that these people took from the, from the philosophers. So we say, Allah bisifatihi. Allah bisifatihi. And they say, Allah wasifatihi. We say Allah and His attributes, His attributes are part of His essence. They are, they are inseparable from His essence. But they are not the same as His essence. Do you understand? So when I say Allah and His knowledge, His knowledge doesn't mean His being. Knowledge is a, an, an attribute different to His essence, although it's part of His essence. Whereas the Mu'tazila would say, there's Allah and His knowledge is something outside of Him. Knowledge is not an attribute of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because Allah can't have attributes. Okay. That's why they say Allah wa sifatihi, Allah and his attributes. We say Allah with his attributes. We use the ba and they use the wa. So this is one of the issues of a difference between Ahl Sunnati wal Jama'ah and the Mu'tazila by way of example. And uh, we mentioned that all of Allah's attributes are eternal. Allah had his attributes before he created anything. So Allah was the creator, and Allah was the provider, before he created this creation, because Allah is eternal with all of his attributes. So, the next point we move on, we start today's lesson from this point. So the next point that we make is, that when we look at all of the various attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we find that they have different indications. They indicate different things. So for example, one category of Allah's names is names or attributes that refer to meanings. Meanings. Like for example, Allah's attribute of knowledge. Knowledge is a meaning. It's a ma'na. Likewise, wisdom. Wisdom is a meaning. So some attributes indicate meanings. Meanings. There are some attributes which indicate that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is free of deficiencies. Is free of deficiencies. As an example, the name of Allah, Al-Quddus. Al-Quddus. Al-Quddus actually means Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is free of every deficiency and fault and shortcoming. He is, 
He is completely uh, sublime. You know, he is free of any shortcoming whatsoever, any blemish or fault. This is the meaning of Qudus. Okay, so here, this now indicates that Allah is free of any deficiencies. And then there are some other attributes which indicate actions. They indicate actions for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For example, Allah's khalq. Khalq. This is an attribute of Allah that Allah creates. This indicates an action of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And likewise, ar-rizq. Ar-rizq. Providing sustenance. This is an action of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there are some other attributes that actually comprise many different attributes, such as the attribute of Allah, As-Samadiyya, from the name As-Samad, Allahu samad the name As-Samad, which indicates an attribute of As-Samadiyya. What does this name mean? This name means, as Ibn Abbas and others explain, that by way of example, that Allah is the one who has the utmost perfection in his ilm, in his knowledge. An utmost perfection in his wisdom. An utmost perfection in his life. Meaning, this word as-samad, as-samad means that Allah has absolute perfection in all of his various attributes. In many of his, uh, his attributes. Uh, so here this word as-samad is, is an attribute that represents many other attributes and the perfection in those attributes. So the point here is that when we look at all of Allah's attributes and we put them all together, we see that, we see that some of them indicate meanings like ilm, knowledge, and mercy and things like this. These, these are meanings. And there are other attributes like Allah's face, Allah's, Allah's, uh, Allah's hands, and things of that nature which we affirm for Allah without any likeness, without any resemblance. And then there are some other attributes which indicate his freedom from any deficiencies and faults. Then there are other attributes which indicate his actions, like al-khalq and al-rizq. And then there are other attributes which combine many other attributes together and indicate the perfection in those attributes, like as-samadiyya. So in other words, Allah's attributes, they vary and they indicate many different things. Right? They indicate many different things. That's the third point that we want to make. And the fourth point now that we want to make is... That if we were to divide all of the Muslims and categorize them in terms of what their position is towards the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so if we took the whole of the ummah and we split them into groups, then we would find that everybody would fit into one of six groups. One of six groups. And Ibn Taymiyyah has mentioned and outlined these six groups. And so, what are these six groups? These six groups, they're divided into three sets of two. <coughs> three sets of two. So we have six groups. And then we divide them each into three pairs. Okay. So the first pair, the first pair of two groups are those who take the attributes mentioned in the Qur'an and the Sunnah and they take them upon the apparent meanings. So whatever the meaning is clear in the language from those attributes, they take them with their meanings and take them upon the zahir, upon the apparent meaning. Upon the apparent meaning. Right? So there are two groups that come under this. Then there are another two groups, and what they do is that they take the attributes and they understand them upon other than the apparent meanings. Right? So to explain to you what this means, let's look at the first group. Say for example, in the Quran, Allah says um, that Allah has wisdom, Allah has hikmah, and Allah has mercy, Allah has rahmah. Okay? And we, when we look at these words, and we understand what these words mean in the Arabic language, mercy has a certain meaning, and uh, wisdom has a certain meaning. And so we take these attributes and we affirm them upon the apparent meaning in the language. Because this is how we, this is how we deal with every language. Every language, we, we always speak in what is apparent. There's no hidden secret meanings. There's no, you know, because this would make language not work at all for anybody. Right? This is the basic principle in every single language. That you take the apparent 
meaning of words and phrases and statements. Otherwise, there'd be confusion and no one could communicate at all. So we take these words, wisdom, mercy, we, we understand the meaning behind these two words, and then we affirm that, that meaning. Right? This is what we mean, that we take it upon the zahir, upon the apparent. Right? So these second set of two groups, they deny the zahir. They don't accept the apparent meaning that is apparent from the word. And so they will, they will deny the apparent meaning. Okay, so that's four groups now. And then we have the final two, and they are two groups who they uh, withhold. They withhold. Okay, they, 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 they don't really take a position and they withhold, right? So each of these three sets of pairs, let's look at them one by one. So the first group, the first group, and they are a group who take the apparent meanings of Allah's attributes and then they exaggerate in those meanings. They exaggerate in these attributes. And as, as a result, they liken Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with His creation. So, as an example, they might say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to give an example of, of, from history, this group is, is represented by the Shia, by the Rafida Shia. They were the first group to come with this falsehood. So they looked in the Quran and they saw that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has attributes like hearing and seeing and uh, uh, mercy and love and all of these types of attributes. And then they affirmed these attributes and then they exaggerated and they likened them to the, to the creation. So they said, Allah, His knowledge is like our knowledge. Allah's face is like our face. Allah's hand is like our hand. Allah's love is like our love. And so they likened his attributes to those of the creation. And you have to remember historically that these Shia, these Rafida Shia, amongst them, they had the belief that their imams, that they acquired divinity, that they became divine, or that they were the representation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon the earth. And so they had this gross tashbih, this resemblance, between, you know, with, with respect to their belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And following on from that, they then began to take Allah's attributes mentioned in the Qur'an, and they treated them just like our attributes. Just like our attributes. So they likened the reality of Allah's attributes with the reality of the attributes of the creation. Right? So this is the first group who take the meanings of these words which they read in the Qur'an upon the apparent meaning, and then they liken the realities to the realities that they see in the creation. And this is a false doctrine. This is false. As for the second group, then they are the ones who also take the words upon their apparent meanings, but then they affirm them without likening Allah to His creation. And so they say, yes, Allah has knowledge, Allah has hearing, Allah has seeing. Allah has love, Allah has mercy, Allah has all of these various attributes which he mentioned. We understand the meanings. In our minds we understand what these meanings mean. We know in our mind, for example, that mercy has a different meaning to wisdom. We can distinguish those two meanings in our minds. And that Allah's, that when we say he hearing, in our mind it has a different meaning to seeing. All of these meanings, they are distinct meanings in our minds. So as far as the meanings are concerned, we understand them. We know their meanings. But as for how, how is Allah's uh, hearing? How is Allah seeing? How is Allah's love? How is Allah's mercy? These are things that we do not know. We simply cannot know these affairs because they are not from our knowledge. It's impossible for us to know that knowledge. But we understand the meanings. So this is the position of the Salaf, of the Companions of the tabi'een, and the imams of the salaf. They said, we take the meanings that we find in the book and the sunnah, and as for the realities, we don't know the, we don't know the realities. And to help you understand this, this is something that's very clear, that if you look in the creation, you see that in the creation, uh, there are many different species that have the attribute of hearing and seeing. 
right? So mankind hears and sees, right? And then there are animals that hear and see. And then there are fish in the ocean that can hear and see in their own particular way. Then there are insects that can hear or see and, and both in their own particular way, right? In every single instance, when we, when we say hearing and seeing, we understand the meaning in our mind. But then when, when we look at each and every single species of being which has hearing and seeing, we find that that hearing and seeing has a different reality. Okay? Let's give a second example. A second example is of speech, of kalam. Mankind, he speaks. How does he speak? Right? He speaks with a tongue and lips. Okay? But in the Qur'an, we see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned that there will be things that will speak. Like for example, hellfire. A hellfire will speak. And likewise, the skins of the people will speak. Because Allah will make them to speak. Now, hellfire does not have a tongue. And the skin of a person does not have a tongue. How will they be able to speak? That is something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give them. A kayfiyah, a way, a reality by which they will speak. And we don't really understand, we don't really know that. So the point we're making here is that everything, every word has a meaning and a reality. There's a meaning and a reality. So we affirm the meanings of Allah's attributes. As for the realities, then we don't know the realities of Allah's attributes. To make this even more clearer, and this is important because this is an issue upon which there is a great battle between Ahlu Sunnati wal Jama'ah who believe in what Allah revealed and the attributes that He mentioned, and between those who are from the Ahlul Kalam, from the Mu'tazila, the Jahmiyyah, the Ash'ariyyah, the Maturidiyyah, and other than them. Because they don't accept this point that you can have a meaning for something and a reality, and you can distinguish between those two things. They, they can't conceive of that in their mind. They think meaning, ma'na, kayfiyah, the same thing, you can't separate it. Right? And this, this is false. This is false. Because if that was truly the case, then we couldn't describe Allah with anything. That would mean Allah's knowledge has to be like our knowledge. Allah's hearing has to be like our hearing. Allah's life has to be like our life. Allah seeing has to be like our seeing. Why? Because if you, if you say that the meaning of something and the reality of something is one and the same and you can't distinguish between the two, then you have to, clear, you have to affirm that Allah is just like us in all of our attributes because the meanings and the realities are the same. Do you understand? So when we speak of this issue of distinguishing between the ma'na and the haqiqah, the reality of something, this is a matter of fact. This is something which is a matter of fact. And we... You know, this is this is a principle that we that we establish, and on this were the Salaf refuting and waging a war against the Jahmiyyah and the Mu'tazila and other than them. So, to give another example to make this even more clear, uh, this is an example that Ibn Taymiyyah gives in uh, At Tadmuriya. If we, if we, what we're trying to do is to is to say that that. Sometimes we can have things which are similar in name, but different in their reality, right? So for example, we have knowledge, hearing, seeing. Allah has knowledge, hearing, and seeing. Allah is uncreated. He's a creator. But we are created, right? Now, we don't need to give an example between the creator and the created. We can give an example from two things within the creation to explain this point. So, for example, the soul. The soul. Is the soul created? Yes, the soul is created, right? Right, so, the soul has an essence, right? The soul is a real, true, physical thing, right? Can we see the soul? Can we see the essence of the soul? Do we know what material the soul is made of? No, we don't, right? But it is a true, existing, real, physical thing. Now, we can't, we can't conceive that in our mind, but it's fact, it's reality. The soul is a true, real, physical thing. It's a jism. It is, you know, although we can't see it, but it is treated to be a real, true, physical thing. Now, the soul can also, the soul has certain attributes, right? The soul can arise, the soul can descend, 
the soul can speak, right? The soul can perceive and feel because it will be punished or rewarded. So therefore it can perceive and feel it has senses. How can we, how, how can we conceive of a soul being able to see without any eyes? How can we conceive of a soul being able to feel punishment or reward, yet we don't see any, we, we can't see any physical, tangible, you know, way as to how it would feel pleasure and pain, right? So you understand the idea, right? The soul has attributes. And it has the same attributes that we have. Yet we do not know the reality of these attributes of the soul. Right? So this now is a proof. It's a proof that we have meanings and their realities. Right? Words have meanings and they have realities. Once we understand this point and this matter of fact, then this whole topic of Allah's names and attributes becomes very clear. It's very apparent. And from it also we see the great misguidance of the Jahmiya, the Mu'tazila, the Ash'aris, the Maturidis and other than them. It's very very clear and very very uh, apparent. So this is the second group. They are Ahlu Sunnati Wal Jama'ah. They believe in the meanings of Allah's attributes and they deny having any knowledge of the reality of Allah's attributes. Just like it's impossible for us to know the reality of the soul. Nobody knows the reality of the soul except Allah. And therefore we cannot know the reality of the attributes of the soul. And this is how it is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We don't know His essence, and therefore we do not know how are His attributes. And that's why in the Quran Allah says, لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ On the one hand, He negated likeness. And then on the other hand, He affirmed meanings. He affirmed the meaning that he is seeing. He affirmed the meaning that he is hearing. So these are meanings that we affirm. And as for the realities, Allah negated them in the first half of the verse. And that's why this ayah is the foundation of the speech of Ahlu Sunnati Wal Jama'ah in the topic of Allah's names and attributes. And all of the Salaf, they followed upon this, upon this way. So these are the first two groups. The name of the first group are the Mushabbiha. They are the Mushabbiha, the first group that we mentioned, who resemble Allah to His creation. And the second group are Ahlu Sunnati Wal Jama'ah. Now we move to the second set of two groups, three and four. So the third group are those who deny all of Allah's attributes. They say Allah has no attributes. Allah has no attributes at all. These are the Jahmiya. They are the Jahmiya. So they say Allah has no attributes whatsoever. And as we said, this is really atheism because it is impossible for anything to exist and not have an attribute. That's just a simple impossibility. As Ibn Taymiyyah mentions, this is just a logical, rational impossibility. There is no existing thing except that it has an attribute. The least of which has to be existence. Right? So therefore, those who hold this position of denying all of Allah's attributes, then this is uh, atheism and this is the position of the Jahmiyyah. The Jahmiyyah. Then the fourth group are those who began to make ta'wil. So they took the attributes away from the apparent meaning. And they began to say, for example, that Allah's mercy, Allah's rahmah is something else. Allah's wisdom is something else. Allah making istiwa, arising over his throne, is something else. It means he conquered his throne. So what they do is they start giving other meanings, other than the apparent meanings that are, that are, that are clear in the language. So they start making these false interpretations. So this group, in this group are the Mu'tazila all, and also the Ash'aris. And the Maturidis, they are the ones who, you know, they uh, give these figurative, metaphorical meanings to the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is the fourth group, right? So these two groups, they deny the apparent meanings of the attributes. So when you say to a Jahmi, Allah has ilm, he'll say, Allah doesn't have any ilm. Allah doesn't have any ilm. Ilm is just what we see of knowledge in the creation. 
And when you say Allah's power, Allah's qudra, Allah has power, they'll say Allah doesn't have any attribute called power. Rather, power is just what we see in this creation, not Allah's power. The wind, the force of the wind, the force of the ocean, uh, the earthquakes, all of these like different forces and powers, this is just a force and a power which is created, but it's ascribed to Allah. We say Allah's power, not that it's a, an attribute of Allah, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's something that is said to belong to Allah. This is how they mean, the Jahmiyyah and the, well, the Mu'tazila. So they deny the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and some of them, they start explaining away the attributes. It doesn't mean this, it means this. It doesn't mean that, it means that. And they start giving allegorical, metaphorical explanations. So now we have four groups. We have the Mushabbiha, who liken Allah to His creation. We have Ahlul Sunnati wal Jama'ah, who accept the meaning, and they deny knowledge of the kayfiyyah. Even though they affirm there is a kayfiyyah. There is a kayfiyyah. There is a reality to Allah's attributes. We don't know them. And then the third group are those who deny Allah's attributes. And they are the all of the attributes. They are the jahmiyyah. And then, and also the mu'tazila, because they deny Allah's attributes in principle. And then there are those who explain away the apparent meanings to something else. And they are the mu'tazila and the ash'aris. They both have a share of making ta'wil. And then we move to the final two groups, the final set of two groups. And the first of those two groups, which is number five, they are the ones who came and they said, we don't really know what these words mean. We don't know what these words mean. When Allah says, istiwa, and Allah says, wajh, Allah says, face, and Allah says, rahmah, mercy. You see, we don't really know what these words mean. Allah knows best what they mean. So here now, they, they claim ignorance of the meanings of these words, even though the meaning of these words is clear and apparent. We know what mercy means. We know what wisdom means. We know what face means in terms of meaning. We know its meaning. Okay. We know these meanings in the language. It's very clear. But they, but they say, <clears throat> we don't really know what these words actually mean. We are ignorant of their meanings. Allah knows best what He intended. And really what they are saying is, is similar to this. Um, if, if I was to write on this sheet of paper, does anybody know Russian here? Anybody know the Russian language? Anybody know the Russian alphabet? No, okay. So if I was to write a Russian word on this sheet of paper now and hold it up to you, right? What they are saying, your position to what's on this sheet of paper in Russian is the same as what these people are saying to the speech of Allah. That this really, we don't really know what it means. That's, that's essentially what they're saying. That when Allah says, Allah's rahmah, Allah's wisdom, Allah's face, they are saying that these words to us, we are, we, are, we are just as ignorant of what these words mean, as if we were to have a word in a foreign language that we don't really understand, right? So what they're really saying is we are ignorant of what these things actually mean. We affirm the letters. Yes, a, we affirm the letter there. We affirm istiwa. We affirm that it's in the Qur'an. But we just don't simply know what it means. We are ignorant of its meaning, right? And so this is the this is the fifth group, and these people are what? They are the Mufawwidah. Mufawwidah. They're the ones who say we are ignorant and we leave knowledge of it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? And this is the most evil of all of these positions. Of as Ibn Taymiyyah mentions, that they from those who deny the attributes, this is the most evil of all sayings. Why is it evil? It's evil because When we look at the rejection of the other groups, the other groups reject the attributes. This position here, the fifth position, it adds even more evil on top of that evil. Because not only does it deny these as attributes for Allah, it also now imputes ignorance to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. It imputes things to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in that He reveals words whose meanings don't really... that Allah, Allah sent down words which are supposed to be guidance and illumination and knowledge and instead they are just pure ignorance and they just confuse people. Allah says in, in His Qur'an, 
Allah's Allah's face. Allah says in His Quran, Allah's mercy. Allah says in His Quran, Allah is is uh, Allah loves, right? And so Allah intends to inform His creation by way of the of the of, of these verses, and they claim that this is ignorance. We don't know what these verses mean. The messenger didn't know what these verses meant, right? This is imputing ignorance to the messenger of Allah, uh, uh, the messenger of Allah, Ali Sallallahu and it is imputing a yeah, imputing ignorance to the messenger of Allah uh, to, in terms of the, the hadith which mention these attributes, Allah's mercy, and imputing ignorance to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when we are speaking of the verses of the Quran. So Allah's attributes in the Sunnah and in the Quran. So they are ascribing ignorance or they are ascribing uh, ignorance to the messenger in that he didn't know the meanings of the verses of the Quran. And they are belittling or they are ascribing deficiency to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the sense that He reveals something by which He did not intend guidance. Rather, He intended to confuse and mislead His creation by revealing words that don't really have any meaning. And which He would leave His creation believing that they have a meaning. Right? This is how they see it, those people, the Mufawidah. This is how it is. If we look from their, from their glasses, it's like Allah sent down the ayat in the Qur'an. Allah made istiwa over his throne. Allah you know, has attributes of mercy, love. And so his creation read these verses and they start believing Allah has love. Allah has mercy. Allah ascended over his throne. So looking at it from their point of view, it's as if Allah is deliberately misguiding his creation. Because he revealed these words and he didn't really mean those words. And those words don't really mean what they mean in the apparent language to the Arabs. So can you see how all of these evils are implied in this particular position, position number five. Whereas if someone comes and says, I don't believe Allah has any attributes. This is straightforward. You just denied Allah's attributes, fine. You didn't revile Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in terms of his revelation. You didn't revile the messenger of Allah in terms of his knowledge. You just very clear and you said Allah doesn't have any attributes. But when you come along and you say, that yes, we affirm these verses in the Qur'an, we affirm these words exist, but we don't know really, really know what they mean. We don't know what they mean. The messenger never knew what they meant. Right? Only Allah knows what they mean. This now implies all of these different evils that we, that we mentioned. That's why Ibn Taymiyyah said, it is from the most evil of the statements of Ahlul Bidah. So this is the fifth group, group number five. And then finally, group number six, there are a group of people who exist from the Muslim Ummah and they, what they do is they completely turn away from this topic altogether. Right? In other words, all it is to them, they read the ayat of the Qur'an and they read the hadith and that's it. Meaning there's, there's nothing in there at all. They, in other words, the, 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 the issue of Allah having attributes they don't speak about it, it doesn't concern them and their minds and the hearts. All they do is they read the Quran and they read the hadith and there's nothing in there for them as far as, as, far as Allah's uh, uh, names and attributes are concerned. Right? So they turn away from all of that. They don't really delve into this topic and so this is the sixth group. You won't find any speech from them about Allah's names and attributes and issues of belief that, re that relate to this particular uh, issue. So these are the six Groups that are mentioned, as I said, if you were to take the entire Muslim nation and divide them up into broad categories, then you will find them all fitting into these six uh, groups. The Mushabbiha, first of all, then Ahlu Sunnati Wal Jama'ah, and then you have the uh, Mu'attila, those who deny all of Allah's attributes, they are the Jahmiyyah and the Mu'tazila. Then you have those who affirm them, and then they start making ta'wil. Okay, so they take it away from its apparent meaning. They are the mu'awwila. They are the ash'aris and maturidis. And then you have the fifth group. They are the mufawwida. And they are also from the ash'aris. Because the ash'aris, they have two approaches. One approach is ta'wil. To distort the words and change the meanings. And the other approach is tafweed. Which is to deny knowledge of the, of the meanings. And then the final sixth group are those who... These verses don't really mean anything to them as far as, as far as it relates to Allah's names and attributes. All they do is just recite the Qur'an, the tilawah, and that's it. 
tilawah of the Quran, reading the hadith, and that's it, there's nothing else uh, there in that for them. So, once we understand all of this, we now come to this issue of the position of the salaf. And as we mentioned in the previous lesson, we said that the salaf used to make certain remarks in the second century after Hijrah. They used to say, we believe in Allah's attributes, bila kaif, bila kaif. We believe in Allah's attributes without asking how, or without specifying how those attributes are. They also used to say, bila ma'na, bila ma'na, without any meaning. Now what does this mean? This does not mean that Allah's attributes do not have any meaning at all, no. Because we have to look in the historical context in which these statements were made. When they were saying, Bila kayf wala ma'na, who were they refuting? They were refuting the Jahmiya and the Mu'tazila. Right? And the Mu'tazila were making ta'wils, they were inventing meanings, other than the meanings in the Qur'an. From these, from these words. So, the Salaf, when they were saying, Bila ma'na, they were refuting the Mu'tazla, because the Mu'tazla was saying, Allah's istiwa means istawla. Allah's rising over the throne, it actually means Allah conquered the throne. And they were giving a new meaning, other than the one that's apparent from the text itself. And so in response to them, the Salaf said, Bila ma'na, that we believe in these attributes with their original meaning, without any kayf, and without any ma'na, right? So they didn't intend to deny the ma'na, they were referring to the false explanations and the false meanings that the Mu'tazila were inventing in the second century. Likewise, a similar word, they used to say, we believe in the attributes, wala nufassir, wala nufassir, or they would say, bila tafsir, we believe in the attributes without any explanation. Again, this means that we believe in the attribute with its meaning as it came, and we don't start giving any tafsir from ourselves. Why? Because the Mu'tazila were the ones who were giving their own tafsir. Istawa means istawla. Wajh means such and such. Rahma means such and such. They were giving their own uh, interpretations and, and meanings and tafsir. And likewise, they would say, as is narrated from Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak and uh, Imam Ahmad, in fact, Bila had, Bila had, Bila had meaning here without any further definition. Now we don't give any further definition to the attributes of Allah. But whatever they came with, we accept that and we don't start giving any further had. Had meaning a definition, right? So we only define Allah with what is defined from his attributes and their meanings. Anything above and beyond that is now an additional definition or a had that Allah and his messenger never mentioned. So the salaf would also make this kalam, bila had. So all these words, you will find them from the salaf, bila kayf, bila ma'na, bila had, bila tafsir. These are four or five, you know, uh, four or five Negations. All of these have the same have the same meaning, <laughs> and this is different. Now, as I mentioned in the previous lesson, that this is what we find in the second and the third century, and the Salaf were using this speech to refute the Jahmiyyah and the Mu'tazila. They were not refuting Ahlu Sunnah who were saying that we believe in these attributes upon their meanings and we deny knowledge of the likeness. They weren't refuting Ahlu Sunnah. They were refuting the Jahmiyyah and the Mu'tazila. Why is this important for us to understand? It is because today, you will see the Ash'aris and the Maturidis, they will come along and they will go to this speech of the Salaf. They will say, look, Imam Ahmad said such and such. Bila kayf, bila ma'na. Look, Imam so-and-so said such and such. Bila tafsir. Look, Imam so-and-so said such and such. Bila had. All of these Imams, are denying that there are meanings to Allah's attributes, right? This is false. <coughs> this is a lie against history. That's a falsification of history, right? Because uh, uh, when you look at who was this speech directed against, and in which century was it made, it was made in these, this kalam was made in the second century, against the Jahmiyyah and the Mu'tazila. And people like Bishr al-Marisi, 
who are inventing all of these tafsirs, writing books, going through the Qur'an systematically, finding every single verse in which there is a mention of his attributes, and then inventing and fabricating ta'wils. This is Bishr al-Marisi in the second uh, century. And so this is when the Salaf was saying, Bila ma'na, bila tafsir, bila had, bila kayf. Right? We, they would say that we, we, nusaddiq, we believe, wanaskut, and we remain silent. What does that mean? We believe in these texts and their meanings, wanaskut, and then we remain silent. Right? As opposed to the way of the Mu'tazila and those who are making ta'wil. This is what they would say. And that's what you find from the speech of the Salaf, like Abu Ubaid, Al-Qasim bin Salam, he would say, nusaddiq wanaskut. We believe in these narrations and then we remain silent. And uh, uh, so this is how it is. And this is one of those uh, misconceptions used by the Jahmiya today, the Ash'aris and Maturidis. So you need to be aware and uh, alert to these types of uh, uh, arguments which are false. And uh, a side point here is that as people of the Sunnah, we have to really know and understand history. And that's why Sheikh Salih al-Sheikh he has a very nice short statement uh, which you can find on aqidah.com. It's a very nice statement. And he says that as people of the Sunnah, we have, in order to really truly understand our creed, if you want to truly understand our aqidah and the reality of our aqidah, you have to understand the history and the background of each and every statement. Right? What was the background as to why this saying came to be? Right. Why did the saying of the Khawarij come to be? Why did the saying of the Murjiyah that actions are not from Iman, historically, how and why did it develop? Why did they come and say what they said? Why did the Jahmiya come and say what they said? Right. Why did, they, why did the saying that Allah will not be seen in the hereafter? What's the reason behind it? Right. So, so, so to understand historically why these statements arose, who made those statements, what were the reasons for those statements, how did the Salaf in turn reply to them, how did they then in turn reply back to the Salaf, and then, so all of this history is what will tell you the realities of these kinds of issues. And if you don't know history, if you don't understand this history, then this is when these people, the Ash'aris, the Maturidis, the Jahmi, the Mu'tad, they will come and they will confuse you. They will confuse you with the, with the likes of these doubts. Imam Ahmed said, Bila kayfula ma'na. And then you think, my gosh, what, what can I say to this? You know. So, knowledge of history is absolutely crucial to a person of the sunnah. You cannot be ignorant of history and claim that you understand the aqidah at the same time. It's not possible. You can only understand the aqidah if you understand the history and the evolution of each and every saying. So, uh, with this, we'll come to an end for our lesson today, inshallah ta'ala, and we'll continue on the topic of uh, this line of poetry and issues to do with the attributes, inshallah ta'ala, in our next lesson. Uh, with that, we conclude our lesson there, and Maghrib will be shortly, inshallah ta'ala, so if you want to prepare and get ready for Salatul Maghrib. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad, wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.